24, 25 years old, calling a defense. Did you feel like you had a little bit of leeway to experiment with things or were you f- really feeling the pressure of being a young guy in that spot? There, there was zero pressure. <laughs> I had a blast, man. We nicknamed the stadium. We nicknamed it the casino because we were just out there rolling the dice twenty four seven and uh, having a blast doing it. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soy, Blitz right, Travolta right, pumpkin left, alert, Charlotte left. Go on. Punch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet left stick. Victory is a great play call. Right, coaches, welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club. We're fired up to be back with you. We're really fortunate to have another another guest on. Uh, we've really enjoyed these. I mean, we we got a bunch of comments last time when we had Coach Harson on that, like all of us are here scribbling notes down, taking notes of some of the things he said. And we're really fortunate to be joined by Coach Jeff Collins. Uh, he is a defensive guy. We're going to forgive him for that, but uh, just cannot wait to to dive into a little bit of his coaching journey. And, and ultimately get to some of the X's and O's and, you know, what's providing uh, challenges for defensive guys these days, but also, uh, you know, his his perspective on offensive football as well. So, Coach Collins, welcome, man. We really appreciate you jumping on with us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me, man. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of everything you guys do, all the content you put out. Uh, and even as a defensive dude, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, that Wing T series you put out <laughs> yeah. today. today yeah, yeah, today. a little little spinner. <laughs> that, that, that took me back to Albright College, 1997-1998, when that entire league that we play, there's Albright College right there. There it uh, is. That entire league, we had to defend Wing T uh, every single week. And so oh, that, man. I guess that's aging me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed watching watching those clips. Man, that is awesome. That's when you're really like, you're really earning that stipend, right? When you have to scheme up the the wing T every week, huh? <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt. And then I'm the DC no at uh, DC at Western Carolina for four years, and we were in the Southern Conference, and it was all triple option. I think Oof. four of the, four of the whatever, however many eight ten teams that we played, yeah, absolutely, or some form of the triple. So I've seen it all, man. That's when, man, that's well, when you want to you want to kill that scout team quarterback <laughs> that can't get it right. <laughs> yeah, and the Southern hard, hard to replicate. Not, my main man, Matt Rule, would be the scout team quarterback because he was my linebacker's coach there. I love it. So, <laughs> yeah, that helped us a little bit. He made the right read. Oh, I'm the, sure. The speed and athleticism. Yeah, I couldn't quite, couldn't quite get to the outside. <laughs> he, he, was a, he was a distributor, a, a decision maker under center oh. there. That's, that's oh. awesome. Well, yeah, man, I'd love to jump in and kind of start with, you know, you cutting your teeth early on, coaching high school football. Uh, being a coordinator in Division Three, what was it about some of those experiences for you that you felt prepared you for, you know, your ultimately your football life? What, what was it like cutting your teeth at those levels? Yeah, just you know, coaching high school football. My first job uh, out of college while I was doing student teaching, uh, painting the field on Thursday nights. Oh yeah, uh, you know, just coaching both sides of the ball. I was the DB coach. I was also the receivers coach, and. Uh, you know, ju- just an appreciation of the game and a love of the game. And uh, the defensive coordinator at East Carolina not right now, Blake Carroll, was oh, yeah. one of my DBs. The no first way. year I'm ever a high school football coach 
and he and I have stayed close forever. And, uh, you know, then went to Fordham University. I was a graduate assistant in the Bronx, Southern dude moving up to NYC, <laughs> um, you know, with some, with some, you know, great coaches, some guys that I, I've remained lifelong friends with. And uh, then going to Albright College as a coordinator, I think I was 24 years old, 25 wow. years old. Oh, man. And uh, was a Division three defensive coordinator and won the first nine games that, that I coached as a defense coordinator. And I thought I was the man. Uh, <laughs> and then we ran into Catholic University, number one versus number two. And uh, I found out I really, I really wasn't. Because the Catholic University was pretty good that day, so but great, great, great experience. Uh, Division three was uh, very special to me because it was all about the love for the game, and uh, you know those guys were paying to to go to school, and um, I just had a blast. It was me, Matt Rule was our linebackers coach. Yep. I was defense coordinator, and then Sean Padden, who's the general manager out in Nebraska, he was our D line coach, and Crazy. we've been best friends ever since. That is wild. Yep. Man, did you feel obviously you're, you know, 24, 25 years old, calling a defense? It's yep. college football. Did you feel like you had a little bit of leeway to experiment with things, or were you f really feeling the pressure of being a young guy in that spot? What, how did, how did you kind of take that? There, there was zero pressure. <laughs> I had a blast, man. It was the, the, we nicknamed the stadium. I don't know if it was ever nicknamed by anybody else. We nicknamed it the casino. Because we were just out there rolling the dice uh, 24-7 and uh, having a blast doing it. And uh, I still remember we'd have, uh, I don't know if PlayStations were out then or Nintendo, whatever it was. And we would sit there, you know, an hour and a half, two hours a day on the sticks as <laughs> we're during, during game week. So there, there was no pressure. It was a blast. And uh, I think we were top 10 in the country the entire year, our first year there. And uh, it was fun. Man, that is that is awesome. I love it. That is awesome. And and pretty cool that you guys have all kind of stayed together. And it's been yep. neat to obviously trace each of your coaching careers. Um, from Albright College, Was where did you head after after Albright? Was it straight to uh, Western Carolina or did, was there a stop in between? Nope. I went to went to Atlanta. It was a GA Georgia Tech on the defense. Okay, there you go. We played really good defense, had, had a lot of success. Um, but the way I made uh, my name there as a graduate assistant is I recruited. You know, yep. I first when, when we were at Albright College, we, we had a signing class, I think, of 82 one year. <laughs> and I signed 45 of the kids. Holy cow. Just, you know, I got volume recruiting. And, you know, I, I still think to this day that was one of the biggest experiences for me learning to recruit at a high level in mass, you know, and then I get to, to Georgia tech and I asked coach O'Leary the first year, Hey coach, let me recruit. Uh, I'm a really good recruiter. Let me recruit. And obviously he didn't let me do it. Um, he just <laughs> made me break down film or whatever. And then the second year I'm like, coach, you know, I, I, I can add some value. And he said, all right, wise guy, we have six primary States. You can have the other 44. And I said, okay, <laughs> all right. And I signed five players as a graduate assistant. Let's go. You signed three players as a Division One coach. You 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 did so. You did a good job. But as a GA, I signed five kids. And then since now we're talking, this is an offensive show. Uh, after that season, I got promoted to be the tight ends coach. 
Okay. I was the tight. I was a Division One tight ends coach for a year, and Billy O'Brien, who's now with the Patriots, was uh, our offensive coordinator. So I learned offensive football uh, from Billy O'Brien as the tight ends coach. I was terrible, but uh, <laughs> it did help me as a, a defensive play caller even more because I kind of knew how offenses thought and all that kind of stuff. For sure. So, so when you were coaching offense, were you like at that time looking for ways to get back on the defensive side of the ball or were you like, well, let's see how this goes. How, how are you kind of handling that as a young coach? Yeah, just, it's one of the things I think this is, you know, this is an advice kind of show is whatever job you have, be the absolute best that you can possibly be in that role. Cause if you're looking for the next job or, this next thing, it's not going to come. But if you are the absolute best at what you do in the role that you have, then good things happen to you. So I was just completely focused on being the tight ends coach, being a baller of a recruiter. Uh, those kind of things were, were very important to me. And I still remember um, being a defensive player and coach all my life. They give me the tight ends thinking that's an easy position to coach. And I'm like, <laughs> A lot going on with tight ends. What Brock Bowers is doing right now? (laughs) It's the same thing. We asked our tight end to do everything: be involved in the run game, be involved in the pass game, uh, run routes, be in protections, and they had to do everything. You know, at the same level uh, and knowledge base of, let's say, a quarterback, and they give it to somebody who's never coached it before. But I busted my ass to be. I'm sorry to cuss, but I busted my butt. Uh, I busted my butt to to try to be the best I could possibly be. And uh, recruited at a high level too. Did the uh, did the thought ever pop in your head like this? This might be, you know, this maybe I'll ma- maybe I'll make the switch to the dark side, or was it like <laughs> I, I just gotta I gotta get through this year? <laughs> yeah, I just try to stay in the moment. So I worked for George O'Leary uh, for eventually five years, three years at Georgia Tech, and two at UCF. And I just, you know, we talk about on defense surviving the down. I tried to survive the day every single day with relentless <laughs> effort and positivity uh, while it was it was fourth and one every single day uh, for the five years I worked for that that great man. I think I think a lot of the high school coaches that are listening to this that have to coach that second sport in the spring can probably oh, yeah. relate, you know, when you're out there on the basketball court or yep. coaching baseball or soccer when it's like 35 degrees outside and you're like what in the world am I doing here <laughs> yep. you have no idea what you're talking about but you're just kind of rolling with the punches a little bit no doubt and, and in the next job to your point I was the DC at Western Carolina for four years and I had to coach bowling or teach bowling I had a bowling <laughs> class I had to teach I had a racquetball <laughs> class I had to teach and uh so that was that was interesting too so I, I guess it. I could add college professor uh, to my oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, 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 they didn't, they didn't, Cullowee didn't give you a PhD while you were there. <laughs> they, did, they did not. They did not. I'll tell you what, though, the mountains of North Carolina, I love, I love me some mountains in North Carolina. Sure. Don't get me wrong. I went to, I went to Davidson College. So we would, we would go. scoot up to Asheville every once in a while. I got a, I got a good buddy from the Cullowee area. So, uh, we, we, we spent some time at a cabin up there. It's, it's it's beautiful beautiful place God's country for sure. I'm I'm, I'm heading up there this weekend. There you so go. I love uh, it. Top ten matchup: uh, the Western Carolina Catamounts versus the Furman Paladins. Oh my, and, that's uh, a big I'll one. There, I'll go up there and be on the sidelines, and uh, I'm still not ready to sit in the stands just yet. No, you can't uh, do that. So, so all the games that I go to, people are really kind to me, and they get me on the sidelines. So um, 
it, it'll be good. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned the Southern Conference, right? So yep. for the for the listeners that aren't as familiar, I went to Davidson College at the time. We weren't in the SoCon. Uh, we were in the Pioneer League, but I was very familiar kind of in my high school years, got recruited by the Waffords and the Furmans and kind of all yep. those all those schools. And you mentioned a lot of them were running the triple at the time. I think, yep. you know, Wofford, Furman, um, who else was running? Southern, Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern that's right. Georgia Southern. Or yeah, still the Citadel. Early, that's right. And VMI was transitioning. They, they dabbled in and out. So, we, but we had to play them. Um, yeah, played Nickel State uh, when I was the DC there, and they were running. They were full fledged running the triple. So, got really good at at defending it, and I'm sure. uh, you know, kind of came up with a blueprint for um, you know how to stop it, and you know, had a lot of success. Uh, and then when I was the head coach at Temple, we had to play Navy and Army. So we were well-versed in having to defend that as well at, at that level. I always tell offensive guys, like, if you, if you learn triple option principles, you're, like, ahead of the curve in learning just about anything else because it applies. Oh. Did you kind of feel the same way defensively that, like, hey, if we can, if we can be sound against the triple, yep. like, we can probably play pretty good defense? Absolutely. And then that, when I became the defense coordinator at Mississippi State, uh, going against Dak and Dan Mullen every single day. Oh yeah, you know it wasn't really the triple. You better be sound with dive quarterback pitch every single play. Yeah, and then yeah. I think I think you guys put out a series a uh, month or two ago on Southern Cal, where yep. with their boot series, it's basically running the triple. Basically, um, triple, yeah. You've got to be sound in all of those things, and um, every defense that we've taught ever since we were at Western. Everything that we put in has option principles in defending, you know, whatever defense we're putting in a blitz package. Dive quarterback and pitch is talked about. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So from Western Carolina, you guys have some success there. What's next? Yep. Uh, I'm the director of player personnel back here in Atlanta, and uh, we signed the 12th ranked class in the country, best ever. Um, but it was it was a thing I had to step off the field, so I made it to the ACC Power Five level. Then I don't know if you guys remember the story or uh, Coach O'Leary gets the Notre Dame job. Then seven That's days right. later, you know he loses it, and so you know one minute I think I'm going to South Bend, and the next minute I'm 30 years old and out of a job and trying totally, to explain yeah. what I'm going to do next. And we go back to our alma mater for four years, and the whole time I was there. Even though we had one of the best defenses in the country, you still once you get a taste of it, you you kind of want to get back to it. No and doubt. So I had to take an off the field job to get back to it. Then the year after that, Coach Saban calls from from an unknown number, obviously. <laughs> uh, so, so he calls and offers me director of player personnel off the field again in Tuscaloosa on his first staff, but with the caveat that I get to be in all the defensive meetings. That's I'm an huge. integral part of the defensive staff and one of the, you know, back to be where you are, do a great job and whatever role that you have, be the absolute best for the program that you can be. And that really paid off for me because for 365 days, I was with Nick Saban from 730 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> you can't, you can't buy that. Yeah. You, you and, can't, you know, I, I was blessed to be in the room with him and, you know, we'd have defensive meetings. I'd be in the room with him. We have staff meeting. I'm 
face to face because I sat on the direct opposite end of the table of him. And then once that broke, I would go and he and I would do recruiting for about two hours. Then we'd go to team meetings, defensive meetings, and I was with him then and then watch the film at night. So I never left his side for an entire year. And it was just such a blessing. Uh, and the amount of knowledge and wisdom that I gained uh, w- was off the charts. Is there one thing from that year that stands out most to you? Yeah, just the, you know, everybody's heard about the process, um, but it's real. He lives it. He breathes it. You know, every single day he's trying to, he's got his system, he's got his process in place, but every single day he's trying to improve it. How he watches tape, his organizational skills, uh, how we defend 20 personnel, Whatever a case may be, he's trying to be the absolute best and maximize the efficiency. I've been around coaches that get in the office at 6 a.m. and leave at 1 o'clock in the morning, and three hours out of the day, they're doing like me and Matt Rule used to do back in the day and play, play video games two of those hours. <laughs> Coach Saban, from the second he walks in to the second he leaves, it is perfecting his craft, getting the team ready, offense, defense, special teams, whatever it is, to be the absolute best that he can be. And then any kind of dead time he's got, he's watching recruiting film. Hmm. And so just the, you know, finding what is successful for yourself and then constantly trying to improve upon it um, every single day. And he's, you know, still doing that to this day. And it's, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So this is a question that I had for you, you know, being a defensive minded coach who's who was a head coach as well and working for a guy like Nick Saban who's a defensive minded guy who's a head coach how do you interface with the offense when you're you're obviously very involved with the defense but how do you kind of keep tabs on what's happening offensively at the same time as a head coach yep so here's how coach did it and I I did this as well um an hour a day he would go spend with the offense so he'd be with the defense all morning then we go to the 10 o'clock staff meeting. Then after the 10 o'clock staff meeting, he goes spend an hour with the offense. Um, then at night, we'd come in and we'd watch all the tape together that was good on good. So seven on seven, inside run, whatever the case may be, we're, we're all watching it together. Then when it comes down, time to scout team practice or whatever, we'll split up. Um, and then what he would do and what I would do, and I actually learned this part from, from Dan Mullen, is – Whenever we would split up, I, he would tag plays. So Dan okay. would go watch. Dan would go watch the offensive scout team work. Then he would fly through the defensive scout team tape, and you know, a big play happened or a busted covered happened or whatever. He would tag it, or if he was in a good mood, he would tag a bunch of good stuff. Right then, at the <laughs> end of the night, we get a knock on our door. Hey, Dan wants to see you, and we go in there and have to explain all the coverage busts and all the big plays that, you know, the scout team hit on us. Um, or you know, if he's in a good mood, you know, get some, get some sugar, get a pat on the back or two uh, <laughs> and, and end the night. So I tried to do it, you know, the same way. Cause I thought it was a, a really good exercise. And uh, you know, there is, you know, you want to give your offensive coordinator, if you're a defensive dude, autonomy, same thing. If you're an offensive dude, you want to give the defensive guy some autonomy, but the head coach is, is always watching and has a say and, um, you know, wants to make sure he's got some answers before, you know, Saturday comes and, 
you know, solutions and those kind of things. hundred percent. Yeah. But kind of, you know, talking about that, I think two good examples would be your uh, Mississippi state and Florida experience because you were working for offensive head coaches. Yep. How, as a defensive coach, is your philosophy always going to be the same or are you, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. I mean, are you basing, you know, your defense off of what kind of offense you have? Okay. And is that something that you, you know, the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, are you all three kind of working that together to make sure we're going to be a well-rounded team? Or is it like, here's our offensive philosophy, here's our defensive philosophy, and we're just going to kind of go our separate ways? Sure. And it's uh, kind of twofold. And, and I, I really love the direction of your question. Um, and you, I've got a bunch of playbooks over my shoulder. But if you watch any of my defenses play, so if you go back, our defenses at Temple, schematically, uh, f- philosophically, what we were doing were completely different from our ones at Florida because we had different mm-hmm. players. Yep. Uh, the defenses at Florida, we were all middle field closed. You know, we were some kind of ripless match. We were man free. Um, you know, we were probably close the middle of the field, probably 60, 65 percent of the time. Then you go look at our defenses at Mississippi State. It was probably 65, 68 percent middle field open. Mm-hmm. So it's just mm-hmm. what our defenses, uh, the personnel, the body types, those kind of things, what they could do really well. <clears throat> and even the defenses that we had at FIU or Western Carolina, schematically, they're, they're, they're so different from year to year and from who you have on the roster. Um, you know, I don't know if it really has anything to do because um, our job is to stop people. Yep. You know, and whatever, if it's middle field, open middle field close, if it's 50% pressure, if it's, you know, 30% drop eight, your job is to stop people. Yep. Um, you know, so that was uh, who we have on our side of the ball, what they can do, what we're good at, who is the nickel, who is the sandbacker, um, you know, those kind of conversations. How much depth do you have uh, to be able to plug and play different, you know, different fronts and different personnel packages? Um, but I would say it's a little more to do with that uh, at all the stops. But just philosophically, you can see the hat creating as much mayhem uh, as it. possible, uh, creating turnovers. Um, you know, one of the best ways to create turnovers is to get people in third and long. And the best way to get people in third and long is to create tackles for loss, get sacks. And then the turnovers come, um, you know, in advantageous situations when you get them in, in downs and distances they don't want to be in. No, I think that that makes a ton of sense from the the defensive perspective. Did you ever, as a head coach, feel like, man, the style? Like, do, were you thinking of the style of play offensively and how that may have matched a mayhem type defense that wants to be aggressive, wants to blitz? Like, you know, maybe we don't want to be you know, throwing the ball every down and going three and out a bunch or something like that. I mean, obviously you want to be successful, but how do you think about matching an offensive philosophy with what you're trying to get done defensively? Yeah, I I would imagine it's, you know, as a defensive head coach, you probably want to have a little more control of the offense to help the defense. (laughs) I'm sure. And as an offensive head coach, you want to have a defense that matches, you know, your offense. Uh, For sure. I remember uh, I went through a process, I think, after my first year at Mississippi State, I've never told this story before, but uh, Mike Leach was kind of recruiting me to come be the defensive coordinator out at Washington State in Pullman, okay. Washington. And so we would, you know, we would get on the phone and 
it would be an hour, 90 minutes, two hours, just <laughs> talking philosophy, talking rugby tackling, which wasn't a thing right, in 2011, right. 2012. But we would talk for hours because I played rugby in college. He played rugby in college. And no we would way. talk for hours uh, or have lengthy conversations about that. And I still remember uh, a part of the conversation was, hey, Jeff, I just want the ball back. Either get a three and out, <laughs> yep. get a turnover, or let them score. Yep. I'm like, bro, I'm not, you know, I'm not – the third part I really – I'm not a fan of. Yeah, I don't love uh, that. <laughs> meeting three and outs and getting turnovers, I got you, coach. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but let them score quick. That's not really uh, in my DNA. And uh, so – but then Dan Mullen pulled up MapQuest and showed where Pullman, uh, Washington was, and that was – that was into that discussion. <laughs> that was his. That was his recruiting pitch. Is like, was, hey, it's it not. Was, it's not as close to Seattle as you think it is. It was, it was very simple. He goes. He goes. I know your wife very well, and and proximity to a city matters to her. So let me just no pull doubt. this up. And the conversation was over fairly quickly. Smart guy, man, man. Well, it's interesting. I feel like I feel like you. Uh, you and Coach Leach might have been a good pair, though. I mean, right. that would have been fun. Your your aggressive defense and him. Yep. I definitely uh, would have been him. Now, now, were you talking about just football, or was he going off on like like what else did you guys talk about in this conversation? You got to have it some was, like it was history, awful. pirates, everything. It was, it was it was all of it, and I still remember. I love this. it. Um, you know, he was talking about. Uh, I can't remember. Um, what part of the the process we were in, but he was wanting me to fly to Key West because he has had a yes. home in Key West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wanted me to fly to Key West to come and talk ball and do the formal interview process. And then when Dan pulled up the the map, I'm like, oh, he doesn't even <laughs> want me to come to Pullman. He wants to come there. But yeah, he almost the, he almost got you. Yeah, one of my favorite. I was going through my phone probably four months ago, and I just clicked on me and he and I had, you know, text messages and, uh, you know, the last text message, and I'm trying not to get choked up at all, but the last text message, uh, that he and I sent, I gave him a list of restaurants in Starkville that I loved when, you know, my time was there. And, uh, he put, you know, I wish you were coming out. I mean, I was a head coach, uh, here in Atlanta, but wish you were coming with me, that kind of thing. Mm, And yeah, you know, that, that, that meant a lot to me, just how, how special and what a great, coach and person that that he was no kidding that that's an that's an unbelievable story and um, obviously we have unending respect for for coach leach and he's formed so much of our our coaching philosophies and i think in a way like he was kind of he was kind of a the the original rebel who very much did it his way and i think that's really inspiring for a lot of young coaches coming up of like right you know what maybe there's a way to be authentic to yourself and still have some success in this in this profession and and I, I would say you know probably same same goes for you you are very much your own person uh you bring a ton of energy and a ton of excitement to everything you do how has it been for you you know obviously being a defensive coordinator being a head coach what does it look like for you to kind of pour yourself into that and be as authentic to yourself as possible so and I over my shoulder you can't see it off screen but I've got a uh, mini shrine to to Coach Leach, and I've got Amazing. his books over there. Uh, I've got my cowbell over there. Um, so just great times in Startable. Um, but I'd say working for Jim McElwain 
who's now the head coach at Central Michigan in there. I think they're, yeah. uh, they've are they got four wins under their belt. Maybe they're up to five right now. Um, being around him because he, you know, he came through the Coach Saban system and we did a lot of the same things that Coach Saban infrastructurally practice schedules, off-season programs, all those kind of things. But one of the biggest things that I learned from, from Coach Mack was to be yourself. You know, I, I'd been around George O'Leary. I'd been around Dan Mullen, who had just come off of winning national championships with Urban Meyer. So we did a lot of the same things that Urban Meyer had a ton of success with. Um, you know, and then yeah, I get to be uh, with Mack, and I'd been with Coach Saban, too. I forgot to leave, you know mention that one. Uh, so I'd been around some great coaches. But Mac was like, you just got to be yourself and be as authentic as you can be and as true to yourself. Use the things you've learned from all these great coaches and all the books that you've read and all those kind of things. But you better be yourself. And yeah. one of the biggest pieces is when you're coaching players is trust. You're constantly trying to build trust with your players to maximize their development, to get the most out of them, um, for them to be the best that they can be. Well, if there's a, a trust factor or there's some something that they seem deem as disingenuous, well, how far does that go? You're, you're telling me to use this technique. I don't know if I can trust you because, you know, I feel some type of way because you're not being who you really are. And so I just learned from Mac to, to be yourself, be as authentic as you can be, um, try to be the best that you can be and learn from everybody that you've been around or that you've studied. Um, but, but you better be, you better be real because if you ain't real and real recognize real, you're, you're <laughs> going to have, you're going to have some trouble. No doubt. No doubt. Nah, that that's, that's great advice. And it's cool too. Cause you not only worked for, for coach Mack at Florida and had, had success with, with defensively there, then yep. you got an opportunity to take over for your good buddy Matt Rule at Temple. Yep. What was what was that like to to be to follow in his footsteps when he he took off for Baylor? Well, one of one of my favorite parts is you know because Matt and I are so close. Is he had been at Temple for ten years? You're right. He yeah, been, he had been there for a long time, and I still remember when we were both at Western Carolina. I think I had transitioned and moved on to to take the personnel job here in Atlanta. He was going home to Pennsylvania for, for Christmas and, you know, was having trouble getting in touch with Al Golden, who had just become the head coach. And I'm like, Matt, you're going up there anyway. Stop by the office. Bug him. Go be in person right. and see him in person. And Matt did it. And, you know, that kind of persistence and that kind of mentality, obviously Al had known him because they were both at Penn State, uh, but got him in the door, got him the job. And so for 10 years, Matt being one of my closest friends, I got to see how Al Golden and Matt Rule and Ryan Day had been there and so just a whole bunch of great coaches. I got to see how they built that place, and I was totally invested in Matt's success and Temple's success, and I knew the DNA of the place because it was very similar to mine and Matt Rule's DNA. And so when it came open, it was just such a smooth transition uh, because, you know, a lot of times you can go to a place, wrong, wrong place at the wrong time or right place at the right time. I got there, right place, right time. Now, they had lost a lot of older players that had won a championship, but the DNA and the culture and the mindset and the work ethic were all things that me and Matt believe in, and so it was just a, a seamless transition uh, for everybody involved. And I think, you know, we had uh, 
I think I'm the winningest head coach there in his first two years. And a lot of that had to do just with the culture that had been set and it being true to who I am too, that, that made it successful. Something now, that we talk about um, kind of a lot with obviously on the offensive side of the ball is being right. an offensive play caller while also being the head coach. I'm assuming sure. you were still calling the defense while you were the head coach or did I was, you? I did not. Uh, there you were parts. Okay. So uh, when I left Florida, uh, we had back-to-back top five defenses, Boyle's mm-hmm. award, you know, whatever nominations and all those kind of things. Um, there were parts of the very first year that, I just did it. Like I was in the meeting room all the yeah. time, all day, every day. And there was some part during the year that I did start calling it uh, the first year, but it, I, I just, it was just too much. Yeah, you know, for sure. I was side of the offensive side of the ball or I'd lose sight of, you know, the special teams. Um, so hired Andrew Thacker to be the defensive coordinator after the, the first year and let him do it and just trained him how I wanted it done. And uh, you know, it was just, uh, situationally, I would still call things the whole time I was a head coach. Um, a lot of the things that we do, um, we build automatic fronts and coverages so that you don't really have to call a defense, you know, cause with all this spread and motions and shifts yeah. and wild formations, well, if you're just called cover two, well, there's probably going to be 50% of the formations <laughs> cover two about to get torn up. Yeah, right, right. right. Or if you're playing middle field close, where that strong side rotation insert a weak side rotation, there, there's 50% of those formations you about to get four verts run on you, and there's going to be some problems. So a, a big part of our system is, is building automatic fronts and coverages so that you just give them, you know, seven different ways to signal that in so that people don't steal your stuff, um, and then let the kids make the, the calls and the adjustments. And the same thing with blitz packages. You know, I see teams, you know, I just sit here all day and I've got all the NFL and all the college coaches tape on my on my iPad and I just watch it all day. Well, there's blitzes that are being run that should never be run versus certain formations, but they signal that blitz in and they're going to run that blitz no matter what the formation is. That's not how our system operates. You know, we have an automatic front coverage. We have blitz checks, uh, all kinds of different, things that are that are pretty cool that I'm sure offensive coaches don't want to listen to, but uh, <laughs> that's how we kind of do it. So I would always help build those systems. Well, then, you know, whether you blitz or whether you're checking to a AFC, you know, it, it, as long as you got good enough players, it's, it should work. <laughs> I do, I do really, think that is cool really fascinating from, a, way to do it. from an offensive perspective to hear, though, because – I I think that's how offensive coaches think a lot of the time is, you know, kind of read and react a little bit. And right. I think a lot of people's perspective of defense, like you said, is, well, they're just calling it. They're going out there and running it. But it's cool to yep. hear that yep. y'all have, of, do have those checks built in yep. that you're going to you're going to adjust to what you see from the offense. And a lot of defenses do do that. Yeah, um, but I, for sure. I've right. Been, I've been a college football play caller since I'm, you know, 24 years old, you know, and that's why this is, this is there one of my is. favorite Let's go. Play club hoodie. So I take great pride in being a play caller. No doubt. I, I love being a head coach. It was awesome. Um, but there's something about calling plays, whether no it be doubt. offense or defense, that is just special. And, I, you know, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but love even the mindset for a game, 
you know, is completely different being a head coach, a head strength coach, and being a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator. That's a different headspace that you have to live in and operate in. And, you know, before the games as a head coach, I'm shaking hands and kissing babies and getting 100 people juiced up to run through a wall and all those things. Well, as a play caller, you do that Monday through Friday, you know, energy and juice, enthusiasm, blah, blah, blah. But you got come game day, you better be like a a fighter pilot. You got to be locked in, dialed in, block the noise out, and just how can you call the best plays to put your guys in, you know, position for success. And, you know, sometime I'll come out to y'all, or if y'all are in Atlanta, come over to see me. And the way that we would get ready in, in our system is we do a huge hit chart board, every formation, every backfield set, dip, depths of the backs, location of the tight ends, depths of the tight ends. Uh, and it's a huge, like, uh, beautiful mind on, on walls. And I would just study those things. Uh, so I knew exactly what to call whenever those things showed up, or we would build the automatic fronts and coverages because most offensive coaches, they're going to do one or two things out of each deal, right, you know, especially right. as it's further down the, the call sheet. And my challenge to offensive coaches and to the coaches that I had working for me, if you put in a play, so you got one play a day and it's awesome. Well, that one play better have a compliment Yes. It better have yep. a play action. It better have a boot. It better have a screen. It better have a shot. It better have an RPO off of that one look. Yes, agree. You know, and I, I think I, I just watched tape and I'm like, you know, pe- people are missing the point when they're just they're just calling plays. Well, you better it's it's rock, paper, scissors on an extreme level. And if I know all you can throw is rock or whatever, all you can throw is rock. <laughs> I throw out of this formation, go. So I'm throwing. You get a lot of paper. <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, that's that's spot on. And I think you know that was my biggest downfall, especially early in my career as a young play caller at the high school level. Was I was calling plays, I wasn't calling an offense. Right. So I was like throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck. And I think the teams that I've coached that have been successful obviously had good players. That's first and foremost. Uh, But second of all, it was like we were able to build upon previous concepts and things maybe looked the same or we presented it similarly, um, but we had options out of it and we didn't feel stuck. And I also felt like I could fix things if they got broken. Uh, yes. Which I'm sure, being a you know a systems thinker like yourself, and kind of thinking about ar- the architecture of a defense, you're right. like, well, if something breaks, I can fix it. <laughs> yep. And then the other thing too is just setting teams up. Like I don't see yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, I do see people doing it at such a high level, and then others they, they don't. And as a defensive coach, <clears throat> I would constantly trying to be setting traps for people. Yeah. Like, yeah. Doing things. Hey, dog, you got this when they get lined up. But all of a sudden, I know I just set that trap for you. And then I go and bust that ass and get a a tackle (laughs) for a loss or a sack or whatever. So uh, that's part of the game as well. And then your players understanding how the disguise, how you can complement it and show whatever it is. And then here's what we're going to go to because we know when we show this, they're going to do this. And then we're getting into this. Based on what we show, because what they anyway, 
That's so no, um, I love it. I love it. No, I think that I think that's a great point too, is the player's perspective of it and understanding kind of the why behind it. And I think that's yep. kind of become a big thing in coaching now is teaching yep. the why behind something. And you know, because kids are just like, why, you know, why are we running this dumb play that you know yep. to them never seems to work? But you, when you, you know, hey, there's a plan behind it. We've, yep. you know, as an offense, we've got a double move off this, or like you said, you know, you've got, you know, a stunt off of it or whatever. It's, right. you know, and then one that, of the biggest pieces that, to me as far as as far as coaching goes is we're in the business of sales. Whether we're Agreed. selling to recruits or yep. you're selling to players, you're selling belief, you're selling hope, you're selling uh, the scheme, how they're going to maximize their abilities within it. The other piece is we're in the storing tell the storytelling business. So you better be able to tell a story to your players that gets them to understand why you're doing what you're doing, motivates them to want to do what you're selling them to do, uh, and then just constantly reinforcing those stories uh, so that they have buy-in, they have belief, and they can just cut it loose and play. Uh, one of my favorite books, and I used to give it to some of my higher-level thinkers uh, that I've coached in the past, is Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. And mm. what it is, in, in it's, you know, the, the, when you break it down, it's just being able to process and think without ever having to do the actual exercise of processing and thinking. So it's precognitive recognition. Yeah. And so we would spend an inordinate amount of time from a defensive perspective, drilling it into our guys. Hey, this formation, this is what's coming. The depth of number three in a three by one set, this is what's coming. The level two of the back or level zero of the back, here's what's coming. So they don't even need to know they don't they can't cognitively process this information, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even leading up to the game, there was a process. So they saw it, they recognized it, and they could just play so fast. Yeah, that's gotta be that's gotta be so liberating as a player too, to you know, you, you do the work and then really on game day you're not you're not thinking a whole lot. You're just processing right. the information that's already already in and front of you. A, a lot of places I've been, there's been so many checks built in for the guys where uh, one of my, you know, I think when this, the advent of the no huddle spread tempo kind of attack that caught defensive coaches off guard. Right. No doubt. And they were always a step behind. Well, I loved it. I love it when teams go no huddle. I love it when teams show me their formation because right. there's not a lot of motion <laughs> shifts when you're going tempo no fast. Good. And, you know, whenever I could, I could go ahead and take thinking out of my players I know what to call, when to call it, and the guys could just cut it loose and play lights out. The, no the offense is now that huddle, that shift, that do a ton of motions. That that well, that's a pain now. That's <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting hearing you say that because I started out as kind of a tempo no huddle coach. And as I've learned more football, I'm yep. like, man, I might I might be getting back in this huddle. <laughs> I'm right. in, I'm in place. I'm in place. Yep. Yeah. And it's and, and too, uh, in our system, you know, I would start studying teams that we would face that were huddle. Mm -hmm. Well, you need to, as an offensive coach, you need to quality control your huddle too. Now, yeah, no if doubt. You look at it, and even and even in the league, they get in a huddle and they start wiggling once they get the formation, 
and you can kind of see them start to disperse and okay, now I can hold my call. I know they're in a huddle, but I see the writing on the wall. I can hold my call a little bit. And then once they disperse, well, I know where they're going. Boom. I dial it up and we're rolling. But the teams that disguise all of that and hide all of that, that's, that's, that's tough. Yeah, that well, I want to get to a, a quick question for you, kind of about some of the trends that you're seeing right now. I know you're watching a ton of ball right now. Um, yep. I, one thing that we're seeing a bunch of is, you know, teams using like kind of turbo tempo out of a huddle, like muddle yep. huddles type stuff, and having a lot of success with it. Even like NFL teams, you know, muddle huddling to empty sure. and snapping the ball. It's like hard to get in some checks, and you know, we we've been loving all that stuff. But first of all, you've been more than more than generous with your time and we we appreciate it so much and and just wanted to ask you as you've had a chance to step out of the grind of kind of the day-to-day game planning process and program development and just been able to like soak up football what are some things that you're seeing that either get you excited or make make you a little concerned as a defensive guy what are some things that you're seeing uh, in offensive football right now yeah i just think the 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 multitude of shifts the multitude of motions, yep. uh, the multitude, and this is every team. You know, a lot of times it would just be one or two teams that would do it. Now it's, you know, quads unbalanced. It's quads <laughs> empty. It's, you know, a healthy dose of all of these things. Now, as an offensive coach, you need to make sure that you're, you're quality controlling what you do out of a turbo huddle. Because yeah, sure, a lot of sure. teams – they're going to turbo huddle, but they do three things. Yeah, right. Well, those three things I can set up and build a defense that stops all three, right? And you know, there there's teams that will go quads unbalanced with a sniffer or with an end of line tight end, whatever it is. However, they get to their quads unbalanced, but they do two things out of it. And yeah. a lot of times yeah. they do those two things in a hurry. And just my challenge to offensive coaches is. When you do these unique things, defensive coaches typically have one answer, maybe two. Well, once you know in the first quarter, whenever you try these things, see what it is, and don't just go off of what the next play in your play sheet's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Think about, hey, we did this, we went quads unbalanced, and we ran uh, divide zone into the boundary. <coughs> What did they do? Well, here's what they did. They're probably going to do it again the next time it shows up. For sure. Um, yeah. Just make sure you're quality controlling, especially the ones that are the minute things that you do. And I, I, this goes back to Coach Saban real quick. I still remember, and this was maybe week seven or eight that I'm with him, so I had a little more, you know, not a ton of comfortability, but a little more. <laughs> Can't have too much. I was, never, I was never too comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anybody is. Yeah. But there, there was a game, and we would do the hit chart board, and here's the formations and personnel groupings, what they would do. <clears throat> and let's say it was LSU. They had 20 personnel, and they had done, on the year, they had done 20 personnel four times. And we had 17 defenses game plan for 20 personnel that they ran four times. And I think they ran two (laughs) plays out of it and we had 17 defenses and I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, he seems like he's in a good mood. He just had two oatmeal cream pies. He's uh, okay. (laughs) Maybe I got a shot right here. And I'm just like, I'm like, coach, 
20 personnel. They've run it four times, and we've got 17 defenses. Why do we do that? And he was like, what if they decide this game that 20 personnel exposes us and all we have is one or two calls? We're done. And I was like, that's genius. And so you that's better amazing. have answers uh, and the guys better have practiced it in some way, shape, or form that you wouldn't take 40% of the practice for four things, but make sure guys at least understand the, the things that you're going to do that would apply to 20 personnel as well. Man, that's, that's incredible. Uh, it's, it's really cool for me as a, as an offensive coach to kind of get a little bit of behind the curtains on the, on the defensive side of the ball, right. obviously, um, just hearing that perspective is enlightening for me as I'm thinking through kind of the game planning process and having answers built in. And, uh, you know, you'd mentioned the the concept of, you know, if we show something kind of unique, defenses maybe typically will only have a couple things that they can do against right. it. Um, and so it's, again, a challenge to offensive coaches like, hey, if, if there's something you can take advantage of, like have tools in your toolbox to do it. And I think it's kind of this, it's like this, arms race of like having tools in the toolbox and that's right. i think what makes coaching so fun is like just trying to find those answers week in and week out is uh is why we love it so much i guess yeah, uh, no. it's awesome man well coach collins man we we you've been like i said more than generous with your time and this has been in, super enlightening for us Absolutely. i've got several pages full of notes here just just hearing from you, you talk and we'll definitely have to to hang out and uh in atlanta sometime or you're always welcome in texas man we got we uh we love football down here in houston and austin so uh make make yourself welcome anytime and uh no we just appreciate you so much coming on and uh and look forward to seeing seeing what's what's next for you as well i appreciate appreciate you guys having me on it's a great show and what you do is awesome and you've got my full support anytime all the time that you need it victory is a great play call